Welcome to this week's episode of Latchkey Movies, the podcast where we take a critical look at the movies your kids are watching without your supervision. This week, we're going to talk about the 1987 movie, The Princess Bride. My name is Sarah. I am the mom of a five-year-old boy. And I am Briar Harvey. I am the mom of a 19-year-old young lady a nine-year-old boy and a three-year-old boy and that is the first time i have gotten through that without you know stumbling all over the fact Good that i have job. an adult child now it, it'll never um, get easier uh so before we start recording briar and i usually kind of like shoot the shit for a little while but sometimes we have to like cut ourselves off mid-conversation because we'll realize that the conversation we're having is really one we should be having in the podcast. And that's just what happens. So we might just drop you into the middle of the conversation here. It's entirely possible. But first, (laughs) we have a new show format. Because we realized that we had kind of lost the thread recently. (laughs) Mainly, we got sick of talking about problematic actors and that, like, And just... or the cults that they belong yes. to. Yeah, and that just becoming the focus of our show because, like, literally we've said the same thing a hundred times, right? And with different actors every fucking time. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's reached a place where... We're not advancing the conversation at no, that point, you and... know? We're both a little disillusioned with Hollywood, to be honest, <laughs> after all, after a year and a half of having the same fucking conversation about bad actors yeah. who are literally bad actors. I'm yeah. like, nah, I'm done. I'm, so we're, we're, we're switching back to the movies, although we're switching up the... We're not going to do, like, the note by note, this is what happened in the film, because that's old, too. Especially us. with a movie like this, where you know I'm this pretty movie. sure you've all seen it. You know this movie. <laughs> you know this movie. You know this movie. Maybe when we get around to talking to a movie like Turkey Hollow. <laughs> Which I still have not watched yet. It's our next recording. <laughs> And I'm still referring to my children as, it's, I don't know, the turkey movie. We're doing the (laughs) turkey movie next. I'm excited. But maybe in a show, like an episode like that, we'll probably do a little bit more in-depth on the actual plot of the movie. But, like, something like this, you guys know what happens. We're just going to pick and choose what we talk about. So we have decided to add in, then, a couple of new features. Sarah has always been a little low-key unhappy that we did (laughs) not name this podcast, Where Are Your Parents? Not low-key unhappy. I just, you know, we brought it up to a vote, and it lost. And it lost. (laughs) And the reason it lost, primarily, not is isn't even because it's a bad name, because it's a fan-fucking-tastic name, (laughs) but the SEO of it was bad. Yeah. When you have two internet marketers in a room, like, (laughs) we're both keenly aware that the SEO has to be good. So here we are. I know, but just, like, picture what our intro could have been. It could have been, like... Where the the fuck are your parents? No, I'm thinking more like the 1980s local news bum 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 it's 11 o'clock do you know where your parents are do you remember that did they used to start your local oh, news yes like that? yes there were commercials <laughs> now i was mountain time so it was 10 o'clock 
Oh, where okay. are your children? Yeah, right? do you know where your children you, are? Do you know where your children are? <laughs> oh, so the anyways. 80s. Y'all, it was such <laughs> a different time. But anyway, that brings us back to where are your parents? Because it's a valuable segment. There are so many movies and kids shows. It's and- such a, like a trope and at this point i think for us for every kid show yeah or movie rather where are the parents so we're going to be having that conversation we're also going to be having a conversation not particularly in this one but in many of our films to come would the children actually participate in this because mm-hmm. i feel so it's realistically is this what a kid would do in this situation right would kids actually do this, or is this made-up fucking nonsense? Mm-hmm. That is a question worth asking. Finally, we will also be hitting on more movie conspiracy theories, because why the fuck not, I say. <laughs> so, again, back to the conversation that we have before we actually start recording. <laughs> we were talking about books, and as would naturally happen when you know you're going to have to talk about a specific thing based on a book. We started talking about the book. So this movie is actually based on a book. It's a 1973 book by William Goldman titled The Princess Bride, S. Morgenstern's Classic Tale of True Love and High Adventure. The thing about this book, if you haven't read it, is that it is meta beyond meta. It it's is about the telling of the telling of the tale. It is it's not the telling of the, the tale, tale that was made into a movie about a book. It's so I was talking to my husband about it today because I pulled it out because I wanted to find a quote from it, and I was like, "Hey, have you ever actually read this book?" He's like, "Yeah." I asked my husband too. <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, I hate it because it's so confusing." And it is, like, and especially because it's, like, that satire that, like, you don't actually know what's real and what's not real. So, William Goldman, to this day, talks about S. Morgenstern as if he is a living, breathing (laughs) person. Like, there there are notes in, like, the 25th anniversary and the 30th anniversary copy talking about Buttercup's baby and a museum. So and Buttercup's the baby S. is the sequel. Right. That's not, that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Of course it doesn't. Because S. Morgenstern's estate doesn't want to release, like, he talks about it like it's an actual thing. And I don't know. It may float your boat. It may not. For me, it hits every single right note. Right? right. Same. I appreciate it. I enjoy it because I like the meta-ness of it. <laughs> but my husband, I think, is too much of a critical thinker to, like, be able to suspend disbelief and, like, be okay with it not actually being real. <laughs> And I'm not talking about the story of the Dread Pirate Roberts or any of the characters or Buttercup or anything like that. I mean, he can't accept the story of the story of the story. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's one of the things that I think they did so well with the movie, right? Mm -hmm. They got the they got the telling of the story so Mm -hmm. right. 
and I mean, because there's only so many ways that you can hit on that, but Peter Falk, yeah. he hits it. Yeah. Um, and then, what was I going to say? Oh, if you haven't read the book, I really think you should, because like with any movie based on a book, the detail that the book adds to the story really just livens it up, I guess. Because I remember, like, in rewatching it, I'm always disappointed that more time isn't given to, like, the fire swamp. More time isn't given to the fire swamp. There's really no time given to the actual initiation of Buttercup and Wesley's relationship right. in yep. the film. And there's a lot of actual story there in the book, how mm-hmm. they come to come together. We also actually meet Buttercup's parents in the book, but we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then on another not-necessarily-the-movie conversation, um, whenever we sit down to watch this movie, my husband cannot accept that that's Robin Wright. Because he feels like she looks so different now versus then. And as, like, a a companion to that, I just watched Beetlejuice, and I have the exact same problem with Alec Baldwin in that movie. It just does not look like him. And same thing with Robin Wright in The Princess Bride. You know, she's surrounded by actors who are still um, prolific to this day. Like, all the actors in this movie who are still alive are still out there acting right and they all still look like that person but they look like that person who has aged and i would say even like carrie elways who was like a very attractive man has become like a very attractive older man older fat man now come on you got to be honest about that midsection that carrie has going on these days you know i actually haven't seen much of him in anything recently but like robin wright doesn't look like the same person Well, it's the same Robin Wright from House of Cards. Right. And when you stack that Robin... So clearly, it gives credence to the conspiracy theory about... Never mind. There's a conspiracy theory about Robin Wright? No. I'm sure she's one of the... Oh, drinking dead baby blood. Drinking dead baby blood, right? Right. Right. And that's, that's... Alec Baldwin, too, apparently. but um, Or not yeah. drinking dead baby blood, as the case may be. That is not true. It is not a thing that's happening. Aged. They probably have just aged and had really good plastic <laughs> surgery. Or, or, or there's blood involved. Who the hell does? No. See, this is the thing that drives me nuts about, I have to say, QAnon and the celebrities not aging. Do they really not understand how much money these people spend on their physical health because their it's body is their in job. action? Right. I don't understand <laughs> why they don't get job. that. They're, they pay a chef, not because they have a lot of money to pay a chef. I mean, that's true, too. But because their body is literally their instrument for right. work. And if it doesn't look right, if it doesn't sound right year after year, they don't get cast. Just ask right. Brendan Fraser. Right. So, yep. There you go. Perfect example. So it's very important when you are an actor to take care of your body right. by exercising obsessively and eating obsessively and avoiding and having and finding table. the best plastic surgeon and finding the best and there plastic is absolutely surgeon. nothing wrong with getting plastic surgery no I think 
there certainly is some jealousy to it, right? Oh, because sure. Because it's the lifestyle of the rich and famous that we don't yeah. get to have. But there's also an unwillingness to recognize the actual work that goes into acting as a craft, I think. Yeah. And that always pisses me off. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> I know. Do we have, um, so 97% Rotten Tomatoes, do you have any other critical notes that we need to discuss? I don't, but I okay. could. Would you like me to have some? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, does it really get, it doesn't get a whole lot better than 97%. No, That's it doesn't. That's one of the highest I mean, ratings we've seen. Right. 97, 98 is pretty typical, I think, mm-hmm. for the higher rated stuff that we come across. Um, it was a modest box office success, but became more of, like, a cult classic. Well, it's on, like, a bunch of the AFI Top 100, um, fil- like, films, the category ones. Probably within the top 10 to 20 for a lot of those lists would mm-hmm. be my guess, too. Because it's just such... I don't know. It's my favorite movie of all time. I, I There's nothing that I'm going to find faulty here. Nothing. Mm-hmm. So, we, <laughs> so we know where Briar stands. On we this we know where I stand on this one. Um, well, we talked about Robin Wright. We t- talked about Robin Wright. We talked about Carrie. Well, um, I just have to add that like Carrie always was absolutely one of my first crushes as like a little kid. I just thought he was so you and everybody else. Like I mean, this movie and Robin Hood Men in Tights. Exactly. I was just about to say you followed up with Men in Tights and man, yeah. there's nothing sexier than Cal- Carrie in Tights. <laughs> but not in a scary way like <clears throat> David Bowie in Labyrinth. <laughs> Honestly, this whole entire cast is remarkable and perfect. I don't think there's anyone here that I want to tell stories about, even if they were. Like, I don't know. There's just... Although, Fred Savage, I must say, because Fred is my age. Yeah. So, (laughs) there's always... When I've watched Fred Savage age, Mm -hmm. it's been a thing for me. Like, oh, you're an old man now, Fred Savage. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I can feel that same way about um, Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin, I was just yeah. going to say, he's he's your year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> and I look at him now and go, what happened to that little kid who was yeah. screaming in the mirror about aftershave? <laughs> Where did he go? My husband has the exact same birthday as Britney Spears, like day, year, month. They were born at the same time. Um, I mean, I don't know if they were born at the same time, but they were born within the same 24 hours of each other. And he said throughout life, he's kind of like, oh, what am I doing with my life? Look how successful Britney Spears is. But then as time has gone on, he's just been like, (laughs) oh, no, poor Britney Spears. And like realistically, yes, poor Britney Spears. Like there she needs I don't know if she needs to be freed, but there's definitely a conversation about mental health that can be had around Britney Spears. And. If you are interested in that, I feel like Kate Kennedy, Be There in Five. Has she covered it? She did one a couple of months ago that was really fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it is worth a listen if you actually care about Britney or even care about knowing about the conspiracy of it. Because, yeah, that poor girl. Although, I must say, that is yet another example for me to file away in my arsenal of, like, astrology and human design and 
how similar yet not similar. <laughs> I like to look at twins charts periodically and see what happens, you know. Okay. Twins. I, so, I don't know. I don't know enough about astrology. Well, you have a chart and it's very specific to who you are and obviously where you were born and all of that shit too. But I knew a guy in high school who was born at the exact same hospital that I was on the exact same day, just an hour later. We did not have the same life. And so (laughs) (laughs) I've always looked at our charts going, well, how come, how come I didn't get his life? Well, Thank isn't that Life much. of Brian? <laughs> Life of Brian, Monty Python. Yes. The guy who was born next to Jesus. <laughs> Life of Brian. All right. So, yeah, we don't need to do any more of the cast. And production-wise, I mean, we have Carl Reiner who and Rob Reiner made the movie because Carl gave him the book. Mm-hmm. And he had just done This Is Spinal Tap, which is, I must say, also one of my favorite movies. Yeah. It was a good time for high art, apparently. And then <laughs> Stand By Me, which was in 86. And, they, and he was asked what he wanted to do next. And he said, well, can we do The Princess Bride? They'd been working on it for several decades. Almost a decade at this point in time, right? So that's what I, like, being that this was a movie that released when I was five years old, I don't have any frame of reference for... How successful was this book? Because my reference for this movie is that I grew up with the movie being a thing and then found out as an adult that it was actually, there actually is a book called The Princess Bride. And I think when I actually first read the book, I thought that the book came after the movie. Well, and because it is so meta in the way that it is, that's an easy conclusion to draw, I think. But in fact, the book came out what, 70, what did we say, 73? 73. And Fox 20th Century tried to buy it for half a million dollars that same year. Now, I want to talk about half a million dollars in 1973 to buy rights for a book (laughs) the same year that it came out. That had to have been pretty significant. Mm Mm-hmm. The problem seems to be that nobody... So, Richard Lester was signed to direct initially, but the head of production at Fox was fired, and the project was put on hold. So then, Goldman bought back the film rights, and then tried to give it to other people, including Robert Redford and Christopher Reeve at one point in time. And finally, he hooked up with Rob Reiner after Spinal Tap, and they managed to figure it out. This is this is one of those things of another thing of Hollywood that people don't understand how long it takes to oh, get yeah. movies made. That is such a, like that is such a common story with movies, uh-huh. and especially movies based on books. You'll see so many books that come out and they're immediately picked up for a movie 
option, but like it never comes to fruition, right? And then we look at the ones, so, and then there are bad book adaptations, right? right? Obviously, Game of Thrones is what it is, but they had to finish the series without a, with an incomplete series right. of books. So that's, even if I was a fan of those books, I would argue that is a complete and utter clusterfuck. Mm -hmm. As a not fan, I'm like, well, this is what you get for not, for for trying to do an unfinished series. That's stupid. Mm -hmm. But even when it's finished, look at what happened to, like, uh, Veronica Roth's Divergent. Mm -hmm. We got three of four movies. Right. We're never going to get to finish that story. And it irritates the fuck out of me because I haven't finished reading those books because they're bad. (laughs) I read Divergent. I was like, this will make a really great movie. And in fact, I liked the movie just fine. I thought the movie was decent. The book was terrible and I never bothered to finish it. And I'm like, they'll make great movies. And they Mm -hmm. did. They made three okay movies. And then the fourth is just in somebody's (laughs) imagination because it certainly isn't in mine. So... The path from book to film success is littered with a lot of road landmines and pits and, oh, maybe, maybe R-O-U-S's? Maybe the the road... (laughs) Road Rodents of you. Yes. Rodents of unusual size? Come and eat scripts? I mean, (laughs) yes. So... Rob Reiner cast Carrie pretty quickly, and then Robin Wright was cast a week before filming, and... Oh, there's a really great story about her going in to meet William Goldman, Mm -hmm. um, like, in the casting process. Apparently, like, they were meeting, wherever they were meeting, she walked in and she was wearing, like, a boho dress, like, was popular at the time with her long hair and like a halo of the sun was coming from behind her and William Goldman was like that's like (laughs) how could you cast somebody else at this point right well and I must say she did well I'm a fan of Robbins and I think she's gotten better with age even if she is not the same appearance (laughs) I have nothing wrong with Robin Wright. I think she's a great actress. I loved her in House of Cards. I just think I just, I can't, my brain or my husband's brain, and I, and he's convinced me of this too. It's just very hard to like remember that she is the same person. Um, and again, Alec Baldwin and Beetlejuice, same problem. But uh, to me, Robin Wright in this is like, is the princess that I pretended to be as a kid. <laughs> Well, it's like a combination of Robin Wright and um, the childlike empress, mm-hmm. because the childlike empress had that thing dangling yeah, on her forehead right. when you took was, your, of course, right, you important. took a necklace and dangled right, it and on you your forehead. <laughs> like a combination of what Robin Wright wears and that crown. That's like me as a princess in my pretend imagination. It was the 80s, y'all, because I can't, I can't even argue with this. I'm like, no. I'm over here nodding, going, yeah, that sounds about right. That's how I dressed as a princess, too. <laughs> Every girl of our, like, um, Age? cohort, yeah, cohort, yeah. Uh, dangled a, a, a necklace on their forehead. Yes, we did. <laughs> 
Okay, so let's get to the parents then, which is actually an appropriate place to start this film since we start out yeah. with the complete and utter lack of Buttercup's parents. Yeah, they she it's just like she novel. lives alone in a hut. With a farm boy, apparently. That, and somehow has a farm boy. <laughs> right? There's no... <laughs> but you don't overthink it as a like little kid because it's so romantic. <laughs> so I was... And now, I have, I have to admit, the experience of watching my nine-year-old son mm -hmm. watch this movie is an event in and of itself, right? Because... I was a girl, right? Yes. I was a little girl. Right. It was romantic. It was yeah. fine. You and wanted the kissy part. I wanted the kissing parts. <laughs> and there he is making the ugh, kissing yeah. faces, like, in time with Fred Savage. Right. And I'm yeah. like, wow, this is, this is so well done. Yeah. When we sat down with my son to watch it, um... He, like, you know, we're, like, still kind of struggling with live-action movies. But, like, so we were telling him, oh, it's the story of this boy. His grandpa's going to tell him a story while he's sick. And then, like, he was, like, really pulled in by Peter Falk's, like, explanation of the movie or the Peter book. Because it's Peter Falk yeah. it's great. But then the start happens, and he, again, is like, uh, guys. <laughs> Is this really the movie you thought it was going to be? Like, there's no fights. There's no sword fights. There's nothing like that in here. No, and I can see my son on the couch next to me getting visibly impatient mm -hmm. with the story. So, which makes it interesting then, because you're right. There is no need to have the parents here, because if we had to talk about Buttercup's parents, he'd have been gone. Right. Like... The the meta of that particular section of the book in particular, while I enjoy it as an adult, right. as a small child, didn't care. Just get it over care. with. Just get it over with. Just give me to, give me to the so, fire swamp. Do you think that Peter Falk has the same story we have that has so much more about that beginning part so, and then skips ahead while reading it to Fred Savage? Because that's what I would do. We'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that. All right. So I do want to address that at least in the book, Wesley was an orphan and he was taken in by Buttercup's parents. And that, okay. I feel like that's an important, that at least is a plot part that we just never got. Yeah. Right. Where did there's... he come from? They're Why just two fully formed boy? people. Right. Yeah. Who are... I mean, and we're talking about fictional countries, and we're talking about teenagers, but relatively, they're adults mm -hmm. here, right? Yeah. So, <clears throat> okay. So there are no parents, but it's fine. <laughs> we don't need parents. Who needs parents? All right. Then, next Highlights step. for you. Yes, we have highlights. And I thought we could take turns. So okay. I will start. We've already talked about S. Morgan Stern somewhat at length. So let's do favorite lines. 
Because for me, undoubtedly, it is. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. But there are others. So, what's your favorite? Um, as you wish. Of course it is. Because <laughs> I was the girl who thought she was Robin Wright with a of necklace course, on my hat. <laughs> of course. I still say inconceivable to my husband Oh, yes. All I do not time. think you know what that means. Uh, <laughs> I do not think you know the meaning of that word. You keep using that word. <laughs> do not think it means what you think that it means. All of the um, interactions all... with Inigo, Inigo, and uh, Fezzik are the rhyming between the, the two rhyming. of them is just great. Man, and my so son good. loved that because he is like a huge like make up silly words with rhymes kind mm-hmm. of kid. So that like really appealed to him. That must have then. Yes. <laughs> so, I think I was really struck by how wrapped my three-year-old was for most of this movie it kind of like he was planted on my lap and he did not move Mm -hmm. until it was time for bed at which point in time he pulled my hand I, i think we were i don't know we were out of the fire swamp and we were dealing with negotiations and he's like okay i'm tired it's time for a bed yeah but he made it all the way through the fire swamp yeah three years old sitting on my lap going this is a good movie mommy Mm -hmm. so my son that brings up the part that i really wanted to talk about the part that really drew my son in was the whole climbing up the cliffs of insanity Mm -hmm. to through the sword fight okay and into the fire swamp and it was like shortly after the fire swamp and miracle max that like he just kind of Checked when they're back at the there. castle is when he loses yeah. interest, right? Well, and that middle part is a little bit slow for the younger kids. I mean, even the nine-year-old was kind of starting to do the starey thing. But it picks back up pretty quick, I think, if you are a little bit older. Yeah. So we'll talk on ages, but I think that that really is important with this one. But so for me, I wish that there had been more of the fire swamp and more of the rodents of unusual size. Like, I feel like we're just kind of glossed over the rodents of unusual size, right? Like, how much of it do they address in the movie? Does he just kind of, like, mention it and then they encounter one, right? Because in the book, they talk about it. He brings it up, like, five times but never tells you what it is. R-O-U... R-O-U-S. He just calls it the R-O-U-S. And then, like, oh, we'll get to that. The R-O-U-S. No, we'll still get to that. But I just love the idea of the rodents of unusual size. And in the book, he describes them as um, the fire swamp, R-O-U-S, were a pure rat strain, weighed usually 80 pounds and had the speed of wolfhounds. They were also carnivorous and capable of frenzy. The rats struggled with each other to reach Wesley's wound. The enormous front teeth tore at the unprotected flesh of his left shoulder, and he had no idea if Buttercup was already half-devoured. But, like, it's just, I don't know. Like, the whole fire swamp scene in the book is more... It is far more involved, and, uh, like, so the fire swamp in the movie, because no one's ever survived the fire swamp, right? Right. And we get through it just fine. Like, right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> relatively. But then I feel like the 
that that fits the theme of the movie. Like, there's so many things, you know? It does! Absolutely. So, one of my favorite stories, and it's in the 30th anniversary edition, William Goldman is talking about how he was on set, and they were filming this sequence. The man who wrote the book knows perfectly well how all of this is supposed to go. Standing there, on the edge of the set, Robin's dress catches on fire, and he says, Her dress is on fire! Her dress is on fire! (laughs) And he says, and Rob looked at me with all the patience he could muster and said, It's supposed to be, Bill. Oh, you know, and I can't, being an author on set is probably not a really fun time. I I, I mean, because you're there because they want to make sure we get the vision of it right. And I say vision with bunny rabbit ears. But in fact, it's already long been written. There's not a whole lot the the writer can do on set in interactions with directors and cast and crew so basically, it's just sixteen-hour so, days of tedium would be my guess. Right. So this is a, this brings up a, um, a a good question. I think like it's always a question I'm interested in. So William Goldman, who wrote The Princess Bride, is also a screenwriter. Right. So he made a good book into a good movie, and he was a screenwriter on this. So similarly. Suzanne Collins, who wrote The Hunger Games, is also a screenwriter. And I would say that The Hunger Games movies also translated well into movies. Would you say the same? I potentially might argue at least the first one. Mm -hmm. Maybe even better. Right. I wonder if, are there any other, like, good examples of a screenwriter who wrote the book, then the screenplay for their movies that, like, turned out into really good movies. Because I'd have to imagine, if I was, like, a studio exec, if a screenwriter put out a book that had, like, any modicum of success, I would immediately want that to be something I optioned, right? you would option that <laughs> kind of story, right. Because you're halfway there. Well, and the media, it's... I've noticed recently... And I don't know, do you do audiobooks a lot? I used to, but I don't drive anywhere now. But you don't drive anywhere now, so (laughs) why listen to a book when you can just read it? So I've been noticing lately that there are some books that I really rather listen to than Um, read. So a really good example of a book that's amazing to listen to, but still good to read, is World War Z. Um. As an audiobook, it's a full cast. So the Ooh. book itself, if you're not familiar with the book, because it's very different from the movie, um, the, the book movie is written. <laughs> right. The book is written, um, I, I would say like Studs Circle, but that's probably a reference that a lot of people aren't going to get, like our age. Um, basically, the book is written as a person after the event going around collecting. Um, first-person narrative stories of the history of what happened. And so the book is, each chapter is a story of a different person's perspective of what happened during the zombie uprising. (laughs) Right, because we talk about 
first person right. recollections as being the most powerful kind right. Of so he is putting together right. the history for the future, so that there is a first right. person narrative history of this event. Um, and so the audiobook version of it, if you get the right version, it's unabridged and it's fully um cast so like um mark hamill plays one of the characters Ooh. and there's a couple of oh, henry rollins is one of the characters oh, oh, and so it really Henry's like funny. it really um brings to life the book and i think i mean we're totally going off topic here but what is this podcast if we don't go off topic um i think the reason a lot of people were so disappointed in the movie version of the book is because it just threw that out the window it didn't even attempt to like recreate what the book actually was well and because right but the book is so perfectly set up to be something more of like an hbo miniseries right it would have been like great an anthology as an series, right? It would right? have been really great as an yeah. anthology. Another so. one that I preferred as an audio um, is everything Andy Weir has written, The Martian. Oh, okay, I haven't listened to um, any of them. Artemis. I've read them. So the narrator for The Martian is mm-hmm. far and away one of the best audiobook narrators I have ever heard. And it's there's only the one guy, but man, that book just comes alive. Right. But that I mean, it. yeah. What Ready was Player about? One was another one that I actually That's mostly a good preferred listening to. Well that one's read by Will Wheaton. Okay. So You mean y- Will Wheaton. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um then uh like so audiobooks wise, my husband's a really big fan of the Brandon Sanderson novels oh, okay. as audiobooks. And he's like more of the audiobook listener in our family. Um, he also listened to Stephen King's The Dark Tower series um, and was really upset where he had a really good narrator. And then I think like partially partway through the season, the series, that guy died. Oh, no. So, like, there was another... Yeah, like, tragically, like, I, I think he got into it, like... Oh, my God, I'm totally wrong. It was, like, a motorcycle accident. I have no idea. <laughs> well, anyways. Um, but a good narrator really makes the audiobook. Really and does. we are totally off track here. <laughs> kind of. Going so, back to screenwriters as good authors of books that get turned into movies. And it's about the medium. I think the, mm-hmm. that's the whole point is that there are certain stories that are told better in certain mediums. Right. And I think that it's really interesting to see how sometimes you don't actually get the right medium. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that, yes, the, the, the book was amazing, but the movie was better absolutely yep i would agree and and i'm a i'm a fan of the meta-ness of the book yeah i really enjoy that tale Mm -hmm. but the movie is hands down significantly better in the way that it brings the story of these two mythological countries to life Right. right and i would say that i think it would actually be difficult if you were a person who had somehow avoided to never, or had somehow managed to never see The Princess Bride until you were old enough to read the book and you read the book first, I don't think you'd like the story as much. The book is good because we all have, like, that nostalgic feeling for the movie, I think. So, a couple of years ago, 
I decided that I was no longer going to wait for films to come out after the books. I can't remember if we've talked about this at all. I think I decided this shortly after Harry Potter because I really, I wanted to love those movies. I really did want to love those movies, but I loved the books too much to yeah. be able to let the comparisons stand. In particular, things like Harry's Patronus still right. to this day piss me the fuck off, right? It's not a goddamn shield. Get it right. And I'm yelling about it. Like, that is right. how much that, if, like, those things matter to me as a person who likes film, as a person mm -hmm. who reads. So I decided, and the first thing that this happened with um, was Gone Girl. Okay. So I watched the movie first. Oh, you and did. And thought okay. it was great. Yeah. It was a fantastic story. And then the book was better. But there were some interesting things. So, I so are you saying you prefer you try to watch the movie before you read the yes. book? Yes. Now I okay. try so to watch I'm the movie. Okay, so I'm totally no, the I opposite. I know. And I think my way is better. And I think I'm my way is better. <laughs> I know you do because the book, but the thing is, is that the book is almost always better. So right. when you are making that comparison, the movie falls flat. Whereas when I go into the movie with no expectations, the movie can be great. And then I go into the book with expectations of the story and the book being better. I have thus far not been disappointed by the fact that the book is better. I know, but like... <laughs> uh... There's just something so magical about reading a book and creating that world in your head. That's true. And that's what I would that's what I would miss if I saw the movie first. That's true. Like Gone for example, Girl was certainly always Mr. Cusack. For yeah. better or for worse. Yeah. Was he the right actor for that role? I don't know, but that's how I always saw him when I read that book and I saw Nick so, uh -huh. so like for an example, and for an example that's relevant to our podcast, I never got a chance to read Artemis Fowl before I watched the movie, mm -hmm. and I think that that was a bad idea <laughs> because I know it's a great series, but the movie was not good, and so I'm just like, uh, I don't know. I, I I get you. Like I've lost the ability to have that world building, because okay. world building to me is like top ten reasons to read a book. Like a book with a great world in it, I'm gonna be like sucked in immediately. It's so fascinating to me that you are not a high fantasy, and fan. I don't like high fantasy. <laughs> Considering how important and world building is. I, I don't know. like it. I don't like it. It's not the world building I want. <laughs> I, I, I think I have a couple of series that you should right, try. You let me know. <laughs> I, I, I will. I will. I think you should try Robin Hobb. But we'll, we'll hash that one out another day. But I do think that we're on something important here when we're talking about the medium for the story. Mm -hmm. And no matter what your preferred medium is, I think sometimes there just is a best way yeah. to get the story. Yeah. 
So you have a note here about the Cliffs of Insanity, and I think we got a little sidetracked into the fire swamp. Well, so. no, just, yeah, we did. So the, I love the scene when they're climbing up the Cliffs of Insanity. I love, I love the way um, Carrie always just like, I know it's so fun and then the whole um the sword fight is just amazing and when I was looking into things for this um episode today I learned that uh Carrie Elways and um Mandy Patinkin both did that scene themselves there were no stunt actors except for when they were doing flips but the entirety of the fencing is Carrie Elways and Mandy Patinkin, and they each trained for like six to eight months. And they're doing both left-handed and right-handed and right-handed. <laughs> so tell me again how actors don't work. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I know it. It seems like weird work to most people, and maybe it's the kind of work you'd enjoy. But my guess is probably not. Right. Yeah. Carrie development is long and slow and takes real time in ways that people are not actually interested in yeah. devoting to it. So I am, that doesn't surprise me for either one of those guys, to be perfectly honest. I mean, just the dedication they have to the craft and that, I mean, they did it so well. They, you can tell how much fun they're mm -hmm. having filming that scene and they probably right. had to take it at least f a few takes I'm oh sure I, I would imagine that through. was days if not weeks of filming <laughs> probably right it's and a it long never, scene it's a really long scene there's, there's a lot a of dialogue a lot of dialogue there's also an incredible amount of uh what is the word i'm action for? Yes, but... Fencing? Yes, movement. But movement. Specific, choreography. That yes. is the word I am looking for. Because that much... I mean, because all of that fencing is very strictly choreographed. They are not just out there... No, they're not freewheeling. around. <laughs> so there's a lot of memorization. There's a lot of skill. And at no point in time do you ever feel like they're not having a fun time, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. just they're having a good time. I think for me, that's part of what makes this movie so magical yeah. is that everybody's having a good time. And they all seem to have good things to say about the experience. Oh, yeah. Like, Everyone they all just reconnected for that fundraiser, mm -hmm. um, with the exception, obviously, of Andre the Giant. He passed away. Um, but, like, and then they all speak so fondly of Andre the Giant, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, I mean, there's just, they, they became this really cozy little family, mm -hmm. which I absolutely understand when you're doing Because they are on like location, this. You're right? You're on location, you're with In these England. people and the cast mm -hmm. and no one else. Mm -hmm. So you have to learn how to get, get along and you have to be able to get along off camera or that shit shows on camera. I point you to... Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Right. Right. <laughs> but they had an amazing time. They did all of their choreography, all of the fencing. I love that. So, do you have anything else 
Movie no twice? Uh, no. No, I don't think so. Um, we did just recently talk about the actor who plays, um, uh, Prince Humperdinck. Because oh, he, Landon. yes, he was, he's the speaking voice of Jack Skellington. Mm-hmm. And the character is the inspiration for <clears throat> Sir Farquaad, Prince Farquaad yes, Prince in Shrek. Farquaad in Shrek. So, I mean, I'm sure that this movie has, and it's funny too, like how many times we've referenced, referenced this movie recently without even like setting up the fact that we were talking about this movie in the future because we referenced it on track. We referenced it in The Nightmare Before Christmas. We ni- we referenced it in The Neverending Story because I always get Miracle Max and the guy, uh-huh. <laughs> the guy with the um, thing that they ride up the... Oh. To see the Sphinx. The Sphinx. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and I mean... we hadn't I, even decided we were doing No, I don't yet. think we had decided. It's mm-hmm. not like we were like, hey, let's just keep talking about the Princess Bride to hype up that episode. Yeah, because nope. we don't really plan that far in advance, guys. <laughs> that, that would require... This time of the year is about the most we plan in advance because, like, we want to do Christmas episodes, and we wanted, this year we decided to add Halloween episodes, right? No, that's not fair. We had big, elaborate plans in oh, February well, yeah. of this year, and then We didn't actually hell, do any of But those. none of that went through. <laughs> We're going to have to come back to at least some of those deep dives at some point in time. I still have some notes for that. Yeah, we'll go back to deep dives. We just... We don't have the attention span for it right now. Not right now. We don't have the time out of the house away from our kids from it right now. To be able to pay attention to something <laughs> to do, like, to, yeah, to do to a write a research dive. paper. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz that's what they are basically. Oh, so then the next segment as we are working our way through this are I had this fantastic list and I'll link it in the show notes. Fan theories. I, I mean, there's only so much you can do with this movie. But you had mentioned that the tell that the film was potentially Peter Fox retelling of the story. And this one seems to be the most popular. Like that he's editing? That he's editing the Self-editing story. to make Self-edit- it more interesting for Fed. For Ben Savage, Fred Savage, which Savage is <laughs> the older one. The older one. <laughs> and their proof of this, and I find it to be slightly compelling, is the accent of the albino. Where, okay. <laughs> he, where they're in the, the, the room, right? The, the tower room. The torture chamber? The torture or? chamber. And he's doing his voice. Yeah. And then he clears his throat <laughs> and starts talking in a normal voice. And the assertion is is that all of this is just actually mm-hmm. happening in Fred's mind. And the reason that he changed his voice there was because his grandfather could no longer sustain the weird vocal effects. Oh, I like it. And that... I want to watch the, um, the Zoom uh, story reading that they did recently now and see how that affects it. I didn't know they did one. We'll have yes, to it was that. a it was a um, fundraiser for um, um, the Wisconsin Democratic Party. So, so here is one conspiracy theory I would like to discuss. Okay, 
How many years do you think Wesley has left to live? Oh, because he got the life sucked out of him. Right. And yeah, I don't he know. dies. They take him to Miracle Max. Right. Miracle Max brings him back. But does that pill give him back the 51 years he lost? Or is he going to die next Tuesday? So what does the what does the fan theory say? Well, <clears throat> the fan theory is that he... We don't know. Probably he's going to die because, you know. Like next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. <laughs> it's fine. They got married and then he dies. And they then had to have something like, of, I mean, hey, at least they got to be together for, for a, a couple little weeks. while. Right? Um, finally, the last bit of conspiracy theories have to do with Vincini and the Battle of Wits. Okay. So I posit two questions for you. <laughs> when do you think Vincenny got poisoned? At what point? At what point was he poisoned? I don't know. I don't know. So the argument is potentially probably when he smelled that there was no, that he couldn't smell the Iocane powder. Okay. Because, and our proof of this is when Humperdinck comes around next and he's reenacting what had happened here and he smells it and says, probably Iocane powder. Oh. Well, how do you know if it's scentless? And if you smell it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's probably, it, it, it was probably an inhalant. Oh, and it so he was matter. He screwed it from the beginning. He screwed it from the beginning. Yeah. Which also brings us to the question of why did he enter into the battle of wits in the first place? <laughs> the answer is because it Cause was he's the dumb? only no, because it was the only way he could have won. Yeah. He'd already he he was already had been defeated or the you know, the swordsman had been defeated and our great warrior had been defeated. Mm -hmm. So what we have left is this half-assed battle of wits that might be a shot, but that's it. So the question, I guess, is, is there another play here for Finsani? Could he have done it differently? Could he have done any of this differently? Maybe not poison himself before he even starts perhaps if that is in fact the truth of iocane powder which obviously none of us know but you know it doesn't matter <laughs> finally I, I would just like to point out to you that wesley apparently learned swordsmanship from a wizard named bastia okay he's in the book okay not at all in the film okay but apparently it has something to... The, the theory is that Bastia was on the Dread Pirate Robert ship. That sounds like an exciting ship. Doesn't it? <laughs> Don't you want to go... See, I feel like that's the actual sequel. Yeah. The, the Dread Pirate Robert ship, right? It's a prequel. It's a... It's the prequel. Midquel? <laughs> <laughs> Something. I don't know. What 
we, we tend to do those as what 1.5 now or 0.5 yeah i don't or, know right i don't know the 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 numbering of sequels and prequels <laughs> is all this is this is I like high the term, fantasy bullshit though that i just can't get behind like, i like the term midquel i'm gonna make that a thing mid-quel. make it a thing we'll mid-quel. make it a thing i would like the midquel of wesley's life with the dread, dread pirate roberts I would like the midquel as well. Finally, I just want to acknowledge the prescience <laughs> of the phrase, it's just that masks are terribly comfortable, and I think everyone will be wearing them in the future. Little did he know. Little did he know. <laughs> and I hadn't watched this movie this year yet. Yeah. Normally this is a holiday movie for me, yeah. and I hadn't... So when I watched that this week, I, oh yeah, the yeah. laughter was like stitch it's, in the side kind is of it, laughter. But like, or is it one of those things where you laugh and then you're like, oh, yeah, this that, world I live in. That, that is exactly, <laughs> that is exactly what was happening right there. Oh, okay. Finally, we are moving on to... Would the kids actually do this? And I can guarantee you, any nine-year-old, 12-year-old I know would absolutely sign up for the Dread Pirates Robert ship, even (laughs) if there was a chance that he'd be killed tomorrow. How about, would your kid actually sit through a story read by his grandpa? My, Um, My kid would. This story, if read in this way, if Peter Falk was his grandpa and was making it up on the spot. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So we have, my husband's dad died when my son was just a baby, mm-hmm. but we have a copy of Richard Scarry's Bedtime mm-hmm. Stories with a note in it from Papa penned to my daughter. Oh. And that book is undoubtedly the most beloved of all. All of the books that my mm-hmm. children possess. They love that book. Oh, that's and I, sweet. I do think that if Papa was alive and reading the story in that Jewish grandfatherly type <laughs> way, oh yeah, they'd be all over that shit. All so my, um, my husband and my son, uh, back in the before times... Um, we <laughs> instituted the policy that my husband would do at the time bath time and bedtime and books because like he was gone all day and that was mm-hmm. like the time they had together and especially when the kids are really little right mm-hmm. like that's like a good way to make sure that they get to spend quality time together so that that remains and works good because now I get up with him in the morning and we do stuff and whatever but anyways um they have moved through like um like age appropriate stories like um dog man and the bad guys and like so built up to like more meteor and meteor long-term stories uh did a few of the um the story pirates books and now they're doing the harry potter novels and so Years and years and years ago, I bought the illustrated version of the the Sorcerer's Stone, um, and I've tried every year. I get it out, and I'm like, "Let's read this book," and he never wants to do it because, like, it is. Even though it's the illustrated version, it's not a picture book. No. 
Um, but they finally, it finally got, like, it's stuck this year. And I think part of it is that my husband is really good at voices. I've told him for years and years he should, like, get into voice acting work. But, like, so they're, they've started on the second book. And, um... And we were talking to my son, like, oh, you know, as you start reading and stuff, maybe by the time you're ready, you'll start reading the books yourself. Like, you'll get to a point where daddy's not reading them to you anymore, and we haven't finished the series, and you'll start reading them to yourself. And he was like, no, because no. daddy does the voices. <laughs> so, like, I could, I, my kid would sit through this. Now, sure. if, just on a Harry Potter note, if you do not have a daddy with good voices, yes, the Jim Dale yeah, audiobook are. version is excellent. They're amazing. Yep, and that is worth listening to. Mm -hmm. If you don't For have sure. a daddy with voices, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, finally, we have some our usual yes. last minute notes in here. So. As much as I love and enjoy this movie, there is not much that hits my emotionally sentimental yeah. twinge button, which right. I think may be part of why I like this movie, to be right. perfectly honest. I don't... It's just fun. It's not taxing emotionally. Right. And I am... The older I get, the more I am aware of how that sentimentality is manufactured sure. in films, and I've come to really resent it. Oh, like, see, I like it as like a cathartic thing. Like, like sometimes you just have to watch Hallmark commercials and sure. cry. <laughs> sometimes I absolutely will turn on Steel Magnolias. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and even though you know everything that happens in the movie. That movie is a weeper from beginning to end right. for me in so many ways and yeah. in so many places, that story. But but I never feel like it's contrived. Mm -hmm. I never feel like I'm being forced to feel those things. Mm -hmm. I'm just being told the story Your hand is being as held. it is. Yeah. Right. Just as it is. And... As someone who has had a life that is uh, requires some hand-holding while yeah. telling it, I, I get it. Like, mm -hmm. there are places, there are stories that aren't fun. There are places where you're going to feel those things. But I dislike it when it is forced upon me for sentimentality's sake and no mm -hmm. other reason. And this movie does not have those notes. The book does not have those notes. And ironically, I feel like there's a lot of places where it could have been done, right? Yeah. There's a lot of places where we could have really sure. worked yeah. those emotional ringers, and we did not. Like, you could have um, shown <clears throat> more of, like, the emotion that Buttercup went through when Wesley... Died. Died, right. When she thought he was dead. Mm -hmm. The first time. The first time, yeah. But we don't do that in the film. We don't even do that in the book. No. Like, there's more of that in the book, but not not the... Like, the most evocative example that I can think of in print is probably the Bella Swan blank pages, right? Like, oh, right, when she um, wants to kill herself. Right. 
when Edward goes away. When Edward goes, and those books are fucking terrible, and I really hate using them as an example of anything literary. <laughs> but I knew exactly what you meant when but, you said that. <laughs> but there was something about those blank pages in that book, and I think yeah. that's the second one that really that struck a chord, and it was well told. That's the only portion of those books that I think are well told. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <clears throat> okay, so we have ages, and we've kind of touched this a little bit. My nine-year-old was wrapped the entire time. Mm-hmm. He loved it. My 19-year-old has seen this movie, I don't know, probably 20, 30 times sure. over yeah. her lifetime, and she was right there for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's moving it. What are we watching? The Princess Bride. Oh, I'm there for that one. Right. So... I mentioned this is noteworthy because she's 19 years old and I don't ever see her. Like, I see her bedroom door closed. That's mm-hmm. what I see. So it's noteworthy when she'll show up and stick around for an entirety of a yeah. film. Um, I, I kind of guessed because I lost, like we said, I, I lost mm-hmm. my son's interest in the slower parts. And so I guessed at eight and then I looked up what Common Sense Media said and they said, and we have, can you wear this Halloween costume? Please do. Please fucking wear this Halloween costume. <laughs> so over the years, I've seen a number of Fezics. Yeah. I've seen many Dread Pirate Roberts, yes. obviously, with a black mask. I mean, Dread Pirate Roberts is really easy to do. Oh, yeah. It's a black wise. shirt, black pants, a sash. Right? Yeah. The only thing I, I'm, I, I'm... It might be a little hard this year because it would be a lot of things on your face. You're right. You've got the the top mask mask and the bottom mask. (laughs) So, next show. What the hell is the name of it? The Turkey Turkey Hollow. It's a Lifetime original movie. (laughs) In conjunction with Jim Henson's Creature, whatever. Jim Henson Productions. Yeah. I think it's Creature Studio. But I think it's, I think it's like headline Jim Henson Productions or whatever. We're doing it. Turkeys, y'all. Stuffed turkeys. Jim Jim Henson turkeys. It it should be fun. I'm looking for I'm honestly I'm looking forward to it. My husband was like, Why don't you do just Charlie Brown? I'm like, that's a short. We cannot it talk short. for an hour about Charlie Brown. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> All right, so if you would like to find us in any of our various and assorted places online, we are Latchkey Movies on Instagram and Facebook. We are latchkeymovies at gmail.com. You can call and complain or issue corrections or... I got, I got a phone call a couple months ago with a history lesson. I can't remember what that was, but it was fun. I'm always glad when y'all call. That is 402-885-4875. And if you are enjoying our work, you can buy us tacos. That is ko-fi.com slash briar, K-O-F-I dot com slash briar. We eat tacos. We are considering subscriptions and shorts. So if there is actual interest for that, we would maybe, maybe do Charlie Brown (laughs) and all those Disney shorts. Let us know. And 
finally today. Best out of five, my friend. Oh, this is a five. I mean, this is just a five because I love the movie. I can't, I can't rate it based on what I think it should be for my kid. <laughs> this is for me. This is a five. I've already stated how I feel about this movie. <laughs> rather at length. I mean, if I, there'd be something wrong with me if my favorite movie wasn't a five star film. <laughs> but even for my kids. I really liked this movie for yeah, my kids. I did too. I so much of what we've done lately, especially when we've done throwbacks, has been kind of disappointing. Yep. And I'll watch it and go, "Oh, I don't really want my kids watching mm-hmm. this movie." This is not that movie. Right. And they love it and I am really glad to be able to pass this piece of my childhood on to them that feels special to me and i feel like so our only other fives are into the spider-verse um moana and my neighbor totoro and i feel like that's that's that's, that's pretty a good illustrious list. company and i feel like that is a good and my list. kid would agree with that list i think yeah too. I, I think so. There are... Kids' movies are hard, but... Oh, and the original 101 Dalmatians. Oh, yeah, I think we did give those five. We really that liked that. Well... I, I'm going to go watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Disney is soothing right it now, is. I am finding. There's something about it that's really just a really nice balm. Which is me. also why we've gone back and done so many of these throwbacks, mm-hmm. too, right now. Mm-hmm. It's just been... It's been comforting for us. It's been comforting. We have, however, an open docket for January. So if there is something in particular that you would like to hear us do, please do let us know. We We love when you give us directions. Yes. Yes, yes. And on that note, guys, I think we're out of here. Y'all have a fantastic couple of weeks and we will see you for turkeys! Bye! Bye! Thank you.